If you guys want to get your Bibles open to 2 Peter chapter 2 and also Psalm 119. That's where we're going to be beginning this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2 and Psalm 119. Hey, let's go ahead and pray here. Uh, Heavenly Father, beautiful day. Thank you for the time of worship and fellowship. And pray that right now your Holy Spirit teaches and we listen. Thank you for those that you brought out this morning. We want to hear it. We want to learn it. We want to grow and then go out and be a difference maker and always say and do to represent Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Be with all the children's ministries in the back. And thank you for that special, Lord, just to see the kids rejoice in you. In your name, amen. 2 Peter chapter 2 and also Psalm 119. 2 Peter chapter 2, Lord willing, time willing. We're going to try to do verses 10 through the rest of the chapter here. And there's some pretty strong words. Pretty strong words. Now, we obviously took last week off in our study in 2 Peter as we stopped and did a topical about Resurrection Sunday. But what we have here in 2 Peter, the first chapter is about how to, to practically go live the life. To really mean it. To really go out and say, I want to live the life for Jesus Christ. It ends with saying the importance of God's word. Now, as soon as he brings up the importance of God's word, you know what's going to happen. He's going to talk about how the enemy tries to attack the truth of God's word. And that's what was going on in the beginning part of 2 Peter chapter 2. We talked about false prophets and false teachers. What's the difference between a false prophet and a false teacher? I, I simplify it like this. A false prophet will come up to you and say, thus says the Lord, but then twist it. A false teacher will come up and say, this is what the Bible says, but then twists it. This is just the way that the enemy has been working since day one. He twisted God's word back in the Garden of Eden. Paul warned us that this would happen. Jesus warned us that this would happen. And so what we had last week was the importance of understanding and knowing and seeing this false teaching that would come up. Now what we have here from verse 10 on is quite the descriptive nature of what these false teachers are like. There's a lot of strong words in this chapter. It reminds me of Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, that's where Jesus talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. And he held nothing back. This is where he called him, you sons of hell, you brood of vipers. There is a holy hatred of that false teaching. And you see that happening here now. Take a look at verses 13 and 15 of 2 Peter chapter 2. It talks about this idea of unrighteousness, verse 13, the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 15 mentions the wages of unrighteousness again. And then back in verse 2 the same chapter, it talks about the truth being blasphemed. Two words there. Truth and righteousness. That's what God wants to stand for. And so that is what the false teachers are going to attack. This idea of what is truth. As we mentioned in our stay in Second Peter, there's three truths that you need to know about. Jesus is truth, the Holy Spirit is truth, God's word is truth. If you base your life on those three things, that's the truth you need. We live in a world today where people want to tell you what is truth. Everybody has their different definition of truth. No, the truth of Jesus, the truth of God's word, and the truth of the Holy Spirit. And also this idea of righteousness. Righteousness is just a fancy word that means to be made right. So if I come up and say I'm righteous, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I have it all figured out. That means that through Christ, I was a sinner, but now through Christ, I am now made righteous. I'm now made right in him. And so this is important. This is why Jesus died on the cross, is to make us right, to make us righteous. And that's the truth we want to proclaim. So those two areas is what the enemy is going to hit through false teaching. To understand how important this is, I wanted you to go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. This is called an acrostic. If you look, it has the Hebrew letters at the beginning of each section. The whole book is about God's word. And you're going to see a theme here. And just a few of the verses that we're going to pick out, this idea of truth and righteousness. Take a look at Psalm 119, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. There's our words. God's righteousness, God's truth. That's the focus. Same chapter, verse 151. 
You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. From Genesis to Revelation, we believe this is God's holy inspired word. And that's the truth of it. And then lastly, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. You see that theme again there of righteousness and truth. This is very important to the Lord. So that's why when the false teachers attack the righteousness of God or change the so-called righteousness of God and attack the truth, that's why God has such strong words for them. So it comes from the segue of verse 9 where we left off two weeks ago where it says the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. There is a day of judgment coming with this. So that's what you need to keep in the back of your mind, this day of judgment. And then look to the last verse, verse 22 of the chapter. But it happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Those are our bookends. Judgment is coming for this false teaching, and then what also happens is they return to it. They return to the mud, to the mire, to the slop, to the vomit. Time will show that this false teaching will keep trying to continue through people, and God will keep battling it with truth. So with that introduction, truth and righteousness, and the attack against it, let's see what 2 Peter chapter 2 has to say, verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Where angels who are not, excuse me, angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. First word I want you to see this morning is that idea of walk in verse 10. This is what they do. This is their walk. This is their lifestyle. This is their pattern of life. 1 John chapter 2 tells us this. If you want to see where someone really stands with the Lord, time will reveal it. As time goes on, you'll really be able to see where people stand with the Lord. These false teachers, their walk in time shows they're not really seeking truth. They're not really seeking righteousness. Their pattern of life shows it. What's their pattern of life? According to verse 10, it's the flesh. It's the lust of uncleanliness. Some of your translations call it twisted sexual desire. They despise any type of spiritual authority. They're proud. They're bold. They're arrogant. They're self-willed. They're all about themselves. You see this pride, this arrogance, etc. They don't care about what a type of spiritual authority is. And that's what they're talking about in verse 10. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power might do not bring about a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. They don't care about the supernatural. These are mortal people that are willing to speak evil of anything. And with the example that God gave us in the book of Jude was this. Michael one time was in a battle with Lucifer, it says in the book of Jude. And it says that Michael the archangel would not even speak an accusation against Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. But these guys have no spiritual respect. They think they're everything. This bold, this arrogance, this self-willed. They're going to just talk about the flesh. And that's what they have. Verse 12, but these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and they are cursed children. Verse 12, what a description. Natural brute beasts. Some of your translations just say unthinking animals. Feels good, they do it. They don't care what truth is. They don't care what the right thing to do is. They just going to, what feels good, do it. Unthinking animals. 
Dawn recently was trying to look for um, a duck. We have ducks at home. We have ducks, chickens, and goats. So we have six female ducks. So she wants to have some more baby ducks. So she is going to go out and try to buy one male duck. So she was looking on Craigslist the other day, and she found a male duck that she could go buy. Now, this male duck, though, was an inside duck, lived inside, had little pictures of this duck that walked around and lived inside. Now, we have ducks. They're a dirty bird. This duck's inside. First thing you think of, ducks can't be house trained. They are natural brute beast, unthinking animals. So when you got the male duck, you know, you know what you got with the male duck? You got little duck diapers that you'd put on the duck. I told Dawn, I am not changing a duck's diaper. I am not doing that. No. Ducks are going to do what ducks do. They're an animal. We have a couple goats at home. After we put up the fence for the goats a few years ago, I've shared this story with you before. We thought it would be fun to have Christmas lights out on the fence. Dawn said the goats are going to bother the Christmas lights. I said, no, I put them up high enough. About a day into that, the goats were eating the Christmas lights. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. They were eating the Christmas lights. The Christmas lights were on. They ate them while they were on. They are unnatural brute beasts. That's not even all of it. We had an extension cord set up for a uh, heat lamp for our chickens that were in there as well. They ate through the extension cord. I would love to have seen them do that when that happened. Goats will eat anything. If you put it in the fence, they will eat it. That's what they do. They are natural brute beasts. They are just unthinking animals. God's saying that's what these false teachers are. They don't even understand it. Take a look at verse 12. They speak evil of things they do not understand. Have you ever gotten into a conversation with somebody who has a way out there idea? This false teaching, this false idea. You start talking to them. You try to use truth. You try to use logic. You try to use facts. Halfway through the conversation, you realize they don't even know what they're talking about. They are just so following the flesh. They're just so following whatever they think. It makes no sense to them. They think it does, but it doesn't. And the Bible says, verse 13, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. They will. It's added up. That's their payment that is coming. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that if you choose to walk without Jesus Christ, that in the great white throne judgment, the book of Revelation, you will stand before God, books will be opened, and your works will be read. Your wages of unrighteousness. Please remember, the Bible makes it clear, people don't get away with things. We live in a world today where we think people are getting away with stuff, and that frustrates us and upsets us. We want justice. We want righteousness. It's going to happen. People don't get away with things. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. The Lord keeps track. They will receive the wages of their unrighteousness. And they don't even care what it is. If you take a look here at verse 13, they carouse in the daytime. Some of your translations, evil pleasure. They don't wait till nighttime to hide it. They don't wait to the dark to cover it up. They're going to go right out and just do it, not trying to hide it in any way whatsoever. And not only that, look at the end of verse 13, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They will move right into the church. They will move right in and try to feast with you. That's what it is, that infiltrating false doctrine, false teaching. That's why it's so important for us as believers to know and understand God's word and know truth. And I'll keep repeating this point. The truth of Jesus, the truth of God's word, and the truth of the Holy Spirit. Because when that false teaching comes in, we need to understand truth. And it seems like every few years, there are some books, some studies, some something that takes the church by storm. And it sounds good. It looks good on the front level. But when you really start getting into it, you realize, wait a second. There's false teaching steeping in with this. 
And we have to be careful of those type of things because they want to come right in and feast with us. Verse 14, they have adultery, always sinning, greed, accursed. Remember the intro. They are going to attack truth and righteousness. And this is why the Lord said this must be dealt with. As you go out and you live a life out there, I hope you live a life for Jesus Christ, and you take a stand for truth and righteousness, you will be attacked for that. You will be attacked. You will be called the minority on issues. You'll be called old-fashioned. You'll be called archaic. You'll be called a bully. No, we're standing for truth and righteousness, and we need to be prepared for that, church, because this false teaching is going to keep coming and keep attacking, and we need to know what we believe. We need to know what truth is and then take a stand for it. To give an example of this, use the example of Balaam, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with the man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. So he uses an Old Testament example here of Balaam. Now, Balaam is a fascinating study. And I encourage you to write this down and, and do a study on your own. It starts in Numbers. Numbers, I believe, 22. What's happening is this. There's this man by the name of Balak that sees the nation of Israel coming in. So he goes and he hires this guy, Balaam. He knows that Balaam is a prophet. Now, I, I don't understand and I fully don't see, and the numbers doesn't really explain too much, how Balaam is this type of prophet. But he's a prophet in this foreign area, and so they contact him and say, we want to hire you to speak evil of Israel. So Balaam says, okay, you can hire me to speak evil of Israel, but here's the catch. Whatever God tells me to say, I'm going to have to say. So now God comes and tells Balaam, hey, second, don't go with these guys. This is bad. So Balaam comes back and tells Balak, listen, I can't go with you. God said no. But, you know, I mean, if you would offer me a house full of gold and silver, I'd still say no, but maybe you should think about it. So they come back and ask him again. And now Balaam says, well, let me go ask God one more time. So Balaam goes and asks God, and God says, go. Why? Because that's what Balaam wanted to do, and God wanted to teach him a lesson. So Balaam is now on the way to be a hired prophet to go speak evil against Israel. And as Balaam is on this way, he is stopped by the angel of the Lord. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Balaam doesn't. And the donkey says, stop. Balaam says, go. And next thing you know, the donkey's talking to Balaam. Now, if you think that's weird, the weird part is Balaam responds and talks back to the donkey. So that's what's going on here in Numbers. So basically, what we're trying to learn here in 2 Peter is this. Even a donkey gets it. But sometimes these false teachers, false prophets don't. So Balaam then four times is hired to speak evil against Israel, and every time he keeps blessing them. So Balak finally says, I'm going to not do this anymore. I'm paying you to bless my enemies. But we know what happens in the book of Numbers. Balaam goes to Balak and said, listen, i got a different idea for you. Since I obviously can't curse him as a prophet, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you some counsel, and my counsel is this. You send your pretty young girls into Israel. Have your pretty young girls take their idols with them. And what we'll do is we'll destroy Israel from the inside out. So the young girls come in, marry the Jewish men, bring their idolatry with them, and that's how Balaam's doctrine comes in to bring down Israel. So Balaam is the example used of a false prophet. Now, it's interesting here that you see in verse 15, it talks about the way of Balaam. Balaam is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Here in 2 Peter, it's the way of Balaam. Book of Jude, it's the error of Balaam. And the last one in the book of Revelation is the doctrine of Balaam. Each one represents something different. First one, the way of Balaam. What is the way of Balaam? Greed. Use God for money. Boy, is that not a picture of what you see in false teachers today? So much is focused on money. 
They really represent God. Either represent God as he just wants to give you health, wealth, and happiness, or they represent God as broke. I tell you, it can get really frustrating. I used to see these teachers. I used to get so upset, and now I've had to lean. i got to step back from that. I remember the one guy distinctly watching him. And he was teaching, and he was saying this, that if you would send a love gift into his ministry, he'd send you a coin. The coin had a verse on it from Deuteronomy 18, and you'd carry that coin in your pocket, and on the coin it said, the power to get wealthy coin. So what would happen is you'd have this coin in your pocket, and throughout the day you're supposed to take that coin, kind of rub the coin and pray. You're treating God like a little genie in the bottle. That's not the way the Lord works. But you still see that false teaching right now of using God for money, greed. That is what we see here in verse 15, the way of Balaam. Book of Jude, what's the error of Balaam? That God could be bought. Balaam was a prophet for hire. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever seen that teaching? Send your love gift in and you see what God does? You treat God like an investment banker? So I'm going to send my love gift of $100 in. I'm just going to wait because I just saw the testimonies. A month later, I'm going to get $1,000 back. That's the way God works. No, you don't use God. You can't buy God. Now, you would probably hopefully know that this morning, that your money can't earn favor with God. But sometimes we fall into the trap of our works earn favor with God. I mean, look at me, Lord. I prayed a whole lot today. You owe me. I read two chapters today. I witnessed to that old lady over there. I just, I'm not really referring to somebody over there. Please don't take it that way. I'm not even going to make eye contact with who's over there right now. So. I witnessed that fine young woman right over there. But we do that. We try to think that we can buy something from the Lord. Profit for hire. The error of Balaam. What else do we have in the book of Revelation? The doctrine of Balaam. What was the doctrine of Balaam according to Revelation? It is sexual morality and idol. That's exactly what he did. He says, I can't curse them. Every time I open my mouth, I keep blessing them. So here's my counsel. Send the women in. Take your idols in. Bring them down that way. Guys, that's the same things that still happen today. False teaching is going to teach you to be greedy. The false teaching is that God can be bought. The false teaching is sexual morality and idol worship, etc. It's still here. It hasn't changed. And that's why we have 2 Peter chapter 2 to teach us, to remind us, to be on the lookout for this. To be ready, to be prepared. Because everything they promise, verse 17... These are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For whom they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. They promise everything. Verse 18, great swelling words of emptiness. Some translations, empty, boastful words, big talk. What are some examples? Verse 17, wells without water. Now, we don't really struggle with that today. We may use a phrase like, I'm dying of thirst. No, you're not. You're thirsty. If we have good drinking water wherever we need to here in northwest Ohio... But if you were jumping back 2,000 years ago when this was written, if you were traveling across the desert from town to town and you truly were becoming thirsty and you would see a well in the distance, you would say, okay, good, I'm going to get water there. You go to that well to get water that would truly keep you alive and that well is empty, that's wells without water. You had your whole hope, you had your whole focus on that well to refill the water and that well was empty. Wells without water. Now we can understand the other one a little bit better. Verse 17, clouds carried about by a tempest. This idea of clouds. We live in a farming community here. 
We put stuff in the ground in April and May. Next thing you know, it's going real well, and then the rain stops. So all of a sudden, now it's June. Now we're getting into July, and you're looking at the crop. It needs rain. Now you look over to the west, and the clouds are just getting black as black can be. You look at the rain coming. You get the radar out, and it's just yellow-orange coming right at you. Storm gets within a mile of your house. It splits, and you get nothing. You had all your hope on that. You see it coming. Same thing. I had all my hope in this teacher. This teacher promised me, promised me, that I'd send my love gift in. All my bills would be paid. This teacher promised me that if I would just pray this prayer, use this oil, hold this cloth, do whatever, I could be healed. This teacher promised me joy and happiness. No. There are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest, empty, boastful words that do what? Verse 18, it just allures the flesh. It makes it sound so good. The alluring of the flesh, sexual desires, lewdness, but what else? Freedom. Freedom. Did you catch this in verse 19? Well, they promised them liberty. See, it's so often the world likes to present Christianity as this awful thing of rules and regulations. And people come up and say something to the fact that it's hard for them to be a Christian because of all the rules and regulations. I've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know what rules and regulations they're talking about. Anything that I see in the Bible that God said no to, I see that it's for the good. I trust that. That's the truth of the scriptures that I trust. So what happens is when people come in verse 19 and promise them liberty, oh, you can be free from all this religion, free from all this burden, live the life the way you want. What you're really giving them in verse 19 is slavery. Corruption, slaves to sin. I know people who are not saved, who think they're free, and they are not free in any way whatsoever. They are a slave to greed. They're a slave to pride. They're a slave to lust. Now, they don't get it. They don't get it at all. But the world will throw all those carrots in front of you. They'll dangle overtime in front of you. They'll do this, a bigger house, a nicer this, invest your money in that. It's greed or pride. You'll spend all your time making sure you get the attention, you get the pat on the back. You're a slave to pride, or it's a slave of lust, never fulfilled physically, and you're just always looking for more. That's a slavery there. And they're promising you liberty, but nope, they're really just putting you, in verse 19, back into bondage. Verse 24, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. These guys know the truth. These guys claim the truth. But they choose not to walk in the truth. This is not a believer caught up in a sin. These are people that are willfully saying, I know the truth, I claim to know the truth, but I'm going to go live the way I want to live. And I'm going to tell other people to do that as well. What a scary place to be, to know God's truth and will, but to choose to ignore it. And that's what's trying to tell you there in verse 20 and verse 21. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's a dangerous spot to be for these false teachers, to know the truth, claim the truth, and then not live the truth. And it gets to our last verse that we used in our introduction, but it happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. They jump right back into the slop again and again and again. The slop, the mire, the mud, the vomit. 
you realize how descriptive verse 22 is? A dog returns to his own vomit. That's disgusting. That's absolutely disgusting. I remember the first time my boys saw that happen. Our dog at that time was Maddox. Went outside, did Maddox's thing. And next thing you know, Maddox goes over and fulfills prophecy. Second Peter 2.22. My boys went nuts. Do you know what Maddox is doing? I know what Maddox is doing. Dad, do you see it? I see it. I don't think you see it. I saw it, boys. I know what Maddox is doing. That's disgusting. Now, before you think that I'm bringing this up, making a point, God brought this up 2,000 years ago. And God brought this up even thousands of years earlier in the book of Proverbs. The Lord is saying what? The Lord is saying, think of one of the most disgusting things you could ever imagine. That, right there. That a dog would do that and then go back and do that. You know what God is trying to say to you? He goes, that's how disgusting false teaching is. That's how disgusting twisting the truth is. That's how disgusting unrighteousness is. That we would jump back into that. We would see a dog do that and we would all turn away and say, I don't need to see that. But yet, as quote-unquote believers, we accept false truth. We accept false righteousness. We accept these things. God says, can you be as disgusted by false truth and false righteousness as you are by that? That's the point he's trying to make. Because they keep jumping back into it again and again and again. And we as believers sometimes do this, don't we? We are in an area that's not good, it's bad, it's hurting us. We get out of it and we go right back to it. I can remember somebody out here dating someone. And it was a young woman dating a guy, and this guy was not good in any way whatsoever. Awful choice. She knew it. So what happened was, finally, through wisdom, through prayer, through scripture, said, I know this is not good. I am letting this guy go. Amen. We rejoice. A couple months later, guess what? She's back to dating him again. And what went through my mind is, I see you're back with vomit. I mean, that's what it is. You have chosen to go back to it. Why? Or, and it's not even in that. I've seen it in other things, too, where someone has battled a sin and it has overtaken them. And through victory in Christ, they've been set free. But then as weeks and months go on, they choose to jump back into it. I know I shouldn't. I know it's wrong. You're jumping back into the mire, to the slop, to the mud, to the vomit. Why? You've been set free. And this is what the Lord is trying to say is I hope you are as disgusted by the falseness that the world offers you as you are by verse 22, a dog returns to its own vomit. Guys, we know the truth. Let's live the truth. We know the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's go out and represent that to a world that needs to know it. There's so much false out there. You know that. I know that. Let's go be a beacon of truth, representing the truth of Jesus, God's word, and the Holy Spirit, and all we do and say. And be prepared. When you go into work, when you go into school, when you go into home, there's going to be that falseness that you can take a loving stand for truth. Remember what it says in the book of Ephesians. Speak the truth in love. And that's what we want to do. Worship team, if you can come forward here for the final song. Hey, guys, there's lots.